Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to Face to Face. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Welcome to Face uh, to Face, uh, our uh, next podcast. I have no idea what date this is actually landing on because, you know, I'm really not that organized. But uh, my guest here today is uh, Deirdre Pike. Thanks for being with us today. It's a pleasure. Yeah, and we're going to, uh, we're going to, this is going to be great. So uh, make sure you, you listen in and you listen carefully. I'm even going to recommend you take notes hmm. on this one. Um, Deirdre is uh, somebody that I've just recently met uh, from the, she lives in Hamilton and the SPRC, mm-hmm. yes, the Social Planning and Research Council. We're going to ask her a little bit about that and what that means. But I, I just found out moments ago that uh, she was um, referred to in a local newspaper article as, I believe, the executive in charge of or poverty. 
All right, Deirdre, yes. can you tell me about what the heck Apparently, is that all about? Apparently, I am the head of the poverty industry here in oh, Hamilton. Oh, the poverty mm -hmm. industry. Yes, Fantastic. I'm an executive without an executive jet, though. You know, it's a sad story, no really. And you drive a BMW, I understand. Uh, yeah, a bicycle, uh, bicycle built for two, more like bicycle it. Bicycle yeah. built for two. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, so, so why don't we talk a little bit about that and what you actually do do, mm -hmm. um, and maybe one day you will be the executive of the poverty industry. Yeah. But I wouldn't mind talking about that whole notion, the mm -hmm. poverty industry. What does that even mean? Yeah, I mean, you know? people use that phrase as a pretty negative uh, term, right? It's, it's uh, I think, a lot of folks who actually have the lived experience of being in poverty uh, are the ones who rightfully take a look at folks like me who work in, uh, in research and in community development areas to um, eliminate or at least reduce poverty and see me getting paid and and driving a nice bicycle um, and of course resent that you know like they're still living in poverty and we've been working at this for a long time how come there's still poverty and they pay so many of us to 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 be um, part of the solution and then in that they would include folks like housing workers and people from the city of Hamilton and anybody who has anything to do with OW Ontario Works or, or, or Ontario Disability Support they would many people would say we're all part of this poverty industry and there and I agree like there really it takes a lot of people uh, at work to uh, to maintain uh, almost 90,000 people in Hamilton live in poverty and so you can imagine how much that takes in terms of just uh, providing the supports that are needed but it's a ridiculous framework because really uh, my goal in life is to work myself out of a job you know there's way more fun stuff to do out there uh, but I care too much about but you these folks so boy I've got about three or four different levels I want to uh, go 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 with you on there but tell me a little bit about that why you care why you're compelled to do this you're working yourself out of a job ultimately um, but why why not uh, the fashion industry why don't you work for, uh, why aren't you creating our next really interesting vodka-based drink? <laughs> well, I'd be more into the vodka than the fashion, I have to okay, say. Okay, uh, okay. Your yeah. listeners can't see that I am no fashion icon, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate the reference. Uh, you can pretend if you want. That's right, yeah, yeah. yes. Um, so why, yeah, why am I not in that? Well, you know, my life, uh, my life journey uh, at the age of 16 changed a little bit for me when I uh, became a Catholic. And, you know, as a little kid, I was always drawn to faith communities you know I my parents took me to the United Church for till I was about seven and then whatever happened in their own lives they stopped going to church and I just uh, and I was an only child and I just went over to my neighbors and said where do you go to church and they went to the Presbyterian Church so I went with them and I remember being an angel in their Christmas pageant one year and then another time I was at you know a different church and depending on what neighbor I went with and then when I was 16 I um, fell in love with a Catholic girl and uh, Nobody really told me that, I mean, I never said I was in love with a Catholic girl, but it was right. because of that experience and then hanging out with her family uh, and going to Mass that I just fell in love with liturgy and with the, hmm. um, with the Catholic Church in general and with the community that was there, the music. There was so many things um, that drew me in. There were so many things. And how, so, how old were you when you fell in love with liturgy? Uh, yeah, 16. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that to me is an interesting notion. Mm. Never mind that you fell in love with a Catholic girl. Right. That's also very interesting. Right. And I want to chat more about that. For sure. I mean, people say, you know, oh, so because of the girl, but, you know, yeah, yeah right, why liturgy? Right. Well, because we, I mean, human beings love ritual. And I loved ritual. I like, I like a framework. I like to know what's going to happen yep. in some kind of way. And yet I like it to be fully alive and open to the spirit. And so I 
just found that um, uh, in in the liturgies that I experienced in Strathroy, I mean, my first job in the church, a volunteer job, because I, uh, while well, I was taking the catechism classes mm-hmm, with the priest, mm-hmm. um, I was the uh, overhead girl in the choir. So I would change the overhead overheads, girl. yeah, right. so that everybody Funny. could follow along with the song. And at the time, I mean, it was 1978 or yeah, 78, and. Uh, Super Tramp had just released um, Even in the Quietest Moments around that time, and they, we were singing, Oh Lord, Is It Mine? Now, that's an example of bad liturgy, I want to say. That. Okay. That's not okay. a liturgical piece. But there was still something about the way ritual is done in the Catholic Church that drew me in. And, hmm. So, hmm. Uh, and this is connected to the work you do today, you feel, in some way? Well, so then my whole existence was driven by that. You know, I became a Catholic. I went to a Catholic high school after that, and then I... Went to a Catholic university. Wow. Where, where were your parents on all this? So they stood. They stepped back from the faith-based approach. Yeah. they were the... funny. They were funny. I came home one Tuesday night. I every Tuesday night I went down to uh, take catechism lessons with the priest. Sometimes I would smoke a joint on the way to that. <laughs> Just you know, so you know, I was a I was a, a bit of a mixed-up kid in terms. You know, I also knew I was a les- like I didn't know what the word lesbian was, but I knew right. that I liked women. So you didn't even have the word at the time. I didn't have the word at the time. You know, I would go to the library. Somebody called me a lesbo once or something like wow. that, and I ran to the library and found a book and learned what that was and started my own. Trying, you know, I was in a town of six thousand people. There's no internet. Yeah, and yeah, and I yeah. felt like I was the only person. Yeah, you know, wow. attracted talk, to same sex. Talk about folks. being on the outside. Exactly, and yeah. so I mean, I was. And you love liturgy, so I mean. So what's I had this weird on? mixed up thing, right? You know, like you know, like lots of LGBT youth, uh, drugs and alcohol, alcohol are a big part of mm-hmm. our lives as we try to, um, you know, calm feelings down about sure. anxiety, about what's wrong with me, and all of right. that. Right. And so I had some of that going on. I was also on the basketball team and the first trumpet in the orchestra. And then at the same time, you I know, played trombone. And, oh, yeah. and the only reason I think I did it was, you know, that little mechanism that you could yeah. like empty all the your spit valve. Sil- the spit valve. <laughs> we used to have a lot of fun with the spit valve. Yeah, the valve. trombone one is a pretty powerful I, one. Oh, yeah, you could hang that over the head of ridiculous. the trumpet players. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, so I was involved in all those sorts of things, but the, I still always was just drawn and driven to talk about Jesus, to learn more. Jesus loved me. That's all I knew. And I wasn't really sure if anybody else around did. So wow. there was some really wow. great safety. And, and love in that message. And I had this great priest. Every Tuesday night I would go down and he would. we read through this book together called Life in Christ. And it was a sort of a question answer thing. And we would just move along. And after a year, we'd work through the book. And he said, well, I think you're, you're ready. Like there was no such thing. Now we have, and I was part of uh, teaching this for a long time. In the Catholic Church, we have RCIA, which is the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults. It's how adults become Catholic if they want to become Catholic or get confirmed if they never were, stuff like that. So they didn't have that then. It was just this one-on-one experience with the priest. And then one Tuesday night, he said, yeah, I think you're ready. If you want to be baptized, you could, you know, and in fact, I didn't even need to be baptized because I was baptized united. And now we recognize all of that. Right, right. And I mean, we even did then, but at the time again, because there was no set process, I opted for baptism. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be baptized in the Catholic church. That's great. So I walked home and told my mom, and she said, over my dead body, wow. what if you meet a Protestant boy? Wow. And that phrase was so complicated for me at so yeah, many levels because yeah, it so... didn't matter one bit whether yeah. I met a... So at this point, your parents have no idea about your sexuality and where... Well, you're... that's what they were... She was pretending. Years later, when I came out to her, I said, Mom... Because uh, I never came out to my dad before he died. And I said, Mom, do you think my dad knew I was a lesbian? And he sa- she said, uh, oh, honey, we both knew since you were 11. 
I'm like, oh, now if only you could have shared that story with me. So that is another motivating thing for some of the other work I do that I'll get into. But, right. you know, just as we, um, just to, to follow on in this Catholic thing, the other complicating factor, but not too much for my dad, but um, my dad was born in Belfast and to Protestant parents. And so um, all he said uh, when we did finally meet with the priest, so I took them to meet the priest and the priest assured them that I was, ready for this, that I'd been, you know, very thoughtfully discerning this process, and, um, and so he supported me in it, and, uh, and my dad just said, you know, your nana will roll over in her grave, sort of thing, because she must have been a Catholic-hating, you know, Belfast Protestant, so um, other than that, they were in the front row, Wow. Uh, the following week when I was baptized or whenever so, that so happened. So they were there, they affirmed that uh, They used to come to Mass with me quite regularly. Uh, you, could t- you know when people have left something behind and, and then I, I see this a lot in religious experience anyway, you know, people cry at church. Yeah, and, sure. And it, it, it brings out all kinds. I mean, if ritual is done well, it dr- yeah. brings you to the depth of despair, or not maybe despair, but, you know, some uh, sense of, of sadness of your own reality. And then it can bring you to, sure. you know, as high sure. as the heavens or whatever. And so my parents were always interesting. I always remember my dad crying a little bit at mass and my mom or whatever. Yeah, so. Yeah. so, but they totally supported me and all that. So I got my degree in religious studies and then, Worked for 14 years as a pastoral associate in the Catholic Church, wow. and became responsible for uh, helping adults who wanted to become Catholic for the education and all of that. So, were you at this point out? No, no, I was never. Uh, I mean, I didn't completely come out until really until I left working in the Catholic Church. I see. Okay. But I, I had experiences where I was out. You know, out being out is a you know, it's to different degrees, right? And so, yeah, sure. Well, um, there's something too to me that that I don't actually, and I, I, I mean, I've certainly, uh, I'm familiar with the terminology, et cetera, But being on sort of the outside, if you will, it, it, it has a bit of a negative edge to it, almost sometimes. Maybe not. You tell me. But oh, oh yeah, they they came out. You know, it, I mean, it, mm. it, does that make sense? Well, it doesn't make sense. But I'm sure that there uh, right, are people who mean. are. Uh, yeah who are homophobic or, you know, yeah. have some uh, misunderstanding or whatever yeah. that yeah. Uh, that they would say that disparagingly. But really, to come out is liberation, okay. is freedom, and and is to find health and wholeness. And, uh, you know, Harvey Milk, who was the first out city councillor in San Francisco what and was shot. What a great film with Amazing. Sean Penn. Amazing. Unbelievable. And the, the, story the uptake the on it is not, was not very strong. Like it Right, you know, people don't want to watch a movie with queer content. You know, it's okay sure. to watch Will and Grace, apparently, or yes, right. Modern Family, right. or something. Or Modern you know, family, but yeah. that's such an important film uh, that it did is, not, yeah. you know, become the box office hit kind of thing that others have. Anyway, Harvey Milk always said, "I'm here to recruit you," and I mean, this was his calling line on radio shows and when he spoke. And what he was saying was, to people who are closeted, as scary as it is, come out. This is the only way we're going to actually. Uh, find our freedom and find our voice together and find a place in society. And uh, and I, I make that same call all the time it, for those who can. Now, the scary reality nowadays for kids is that they come out and 50% of them will be on the streets because their own parents kick them out because of their sexual wow. orientation or gender identity. Wow. Or they might get sent to a camp in the United States that will help straighten them up. There's all kinds of kind negative things. Kind of like things. what we might have done with young women who got pregnant back in the 60s, maybe? Absolutely. Send them yeah. to camp or to the aunt or uncles out west, yep. and then they have their child, and then they can come back home. Is That's that, right, yeah. yeah. Well, this is, uh, this is to, um, you know, one of, the, one of the big camps, um, one of the big programs is called Exodus. 
And interestingly enough, a good news story is, is that the two leaders of that program just exited themselves from Exodus and just said, they've just come clean and said, we realize we have committed so many acts of damage to LGBT people in so their Exodus, lives. So Exodus is somewhere in the southern it's states. Somewhere in the no, states, yeah. No yep. Where you send your gay kids mm-hmm. who will be corrected. That's right. It's called sexual orientation like reparative therapy. From a religious perspective? Yeah. From a Christian yeah. perspective? Yeah, you know, because Exodus, C? of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if, you know, we pray enough for you, if you get enough scripture and so on, enough counseling, you'll become and a... You say, they call it, um, pray the gay away. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. No. Wow. Pray the gay away. And the problem wow. is that so much of this is based on, uh, I mean, some of it might be that, you know, a parent catches their kid in an act of sex or something with someone of the same sex. Like, you know, you wouldn't send your kid away if you caught them in an act of sex with someone of the opposite sex, you would think, good, my son is virile and, you know, right. on the right path. Yeah, right. yeah, he's got right. taken that girl, but, you know, there we'll just make be, sure they have some birth be, control or something. But, right, you know, there might be some punishment yeah. there or, or whatever, yeah. but at least we're normal. Some admonishment, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, What happens a lot of times, I mean, um, one of the girls that I know from a high school here in Hamilton that was sent away uh, to, to one of these experiences, uh it was because of how she dresses, like her mother. I mean, she is a lesbian, but it's because she doesn't wear enough feminine clothing. Right. These become the indicators for parents, right? And so it's a real mix-up between gender identity and sexual orientation, you know? And right. so it's always going to keep kids in these boxes of, you know, if your boy isn't man enough, you know, send him off to this camp. We'll man him up and make sure that he um, comes back good and straight for you. So it's, so it's so complicated, you know, the whole coming out thing. Um, for everyone in every age, these are some of the complexities today. Yep. Uh, the complexities in my life were ones that I kind of chose, like by becoming Catholic. Um, you know, one priest I worked for knew that I was a lesbian, and um, I think he just hoped and prayed that I was celibate. Um, and even though he knew that I lived with my roommate, and I put that right, in air right. quotes because... Uh, uh, that's how you introduce, you know, your same-sex partner and stay safely closeted. Um, we would straighten up, again, in quotes, our uh, apartment when people were coming over to make sure it looked like we had two separate rooms and things like that. It's a, it's a, it, this is why it's an act of freedom beca- to come out, because when you're not out, there is so much manipulation and lying you have to do in your own head right. to, mani- to right. just manage your day based on, oh, right, do they know or not know? Which ones did I? Oh, yeah, okay. Right. Um, then my sec- the second priest I worked for fired me for being too involved in women's issues, was how he worded it. Right. Um, so I don't know which issue he was uh, concerned right. about. But, I mean, I was leading a women's scripture group with a feminist um, psalm uh, psalter. And uh, he was upset that there was an analogy for God as a grandmother in that oh, okay. book. He found that okay. quite offensive. So... Um, so that was problematic. Anyway, I left there. Uh, moved, that's how I got to move to Hamilton. I was glad and worked for another priest who was, again, um, you know, open about the reality that I was a lesbian but saw it important that I didn't cause scandal yeah, in the church. Yeah, you sure. know? And then my last parish was in Ottawa, and they actually pretty much hired me because I was a lesbian because run by the Oblates, uh, that parish was looking to reach out to the marginalized, to the other. And so we had a special ministry um, for LGBT people. Uh, You know, we always had a pride, a mass at pride and things like that. So it was really quite great. And then I, and I think that taste of freedom about really being out there made me think, okay, I I need to be out completely. And so that left me um, 
that led me to leave working in the church, but it certainly didn't lead me to leave my faith. You, you still you still consider yourself faith based. You have a strong faith. You you attend a Catholic church locally. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on parish council and singing my choir. And in fact, when we first met, um, we met uh, in the room we're actually doing our interview now in, which is in Hamilton at a, uh, at the SPRC. And you walked in, and, and I, one of the first things I noticed about you was the crucifix mm. you had uh, uh, hanging from your neck, and then. It broke minutes. on my honeymoon. Do you oh, think that's it, a sign? It's a metaphor of something. I was worried about oh, that. Yeah. Interesting. Broke on your honeymoon. Uh huh. And, what and were not you... doing anything in particular. <laughs> I was just going to yeah. say, how did that break? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, and then we ended up talking about Catholicism out on the sidewalk mm. and Christianity and different things. Within minutes, we were we were kind of into it, which yeah. I think is amazing. It speaks to, I hope, our relationship, but also your level of authenticity and transparency and so on. How have you dealt with all the disconnects? You know, being a lesbian, being in in the Catholic Church, for crying out loud, could you have picked sort of a more um, rigid denomination? Yes, I, mean, I think I could You have. probably could have. <laughs> I know yeah. a couple you, of them, you, but I don't want to name them in case right. I upset some what of do your they rhyme listeners. With? What do they rhyme with? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the opposite of, um, instead of RC, it's CR. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, RC, no. RC, here, yeah. whatever, but yeah. Well, and it's true. Which I mean, is my partner's uh, background. And, oh, you know, I see. So she's, okay. and we just so got married. So you guys have got your bases covered, Oh, basically. my goodness, <laughs> yeah. Well, when I met you, Dave, I was just getting married, I believe, right? That's right. It's going to be in a couple of weeks or so. Well, that's what I was going to say, and you had said to me at our conversation that everything was fine for you as a lesbian because you were, you know, you were on the the council and you were on the church uh, choir and so on. But then the moment that you wanted to get married, things shifted a little bit, mm -hmm. and there, it was like there was some sort of you. Okay, now you've crossed um, some sort of denominational line or maybe some sort of scriptural line or something. Can you? What, what is, yeah. it, was that your experience, or how have things played out? Things have played out just quite fine. I think that I was projecting my own fear of oh, what okay. could happen, right? Yeah, uh, and my own, my own fear and my own disappointment, and that seems too light a word. You know, after you've devoted yourself to something for a long time, mm -hmm. and then uh, something important comes along, and you have to distance yourself from it. Uh, and so, in this case, what I'm saying is, you know, I had. Devoted my uh, my life, my mission, my vocation was to working in the church, creating community in Catholic parishes, um, assisting couples getting married. I was responsible for marriage preparation for oh, Pete's sake, you know. Which is pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so all of that, and and then when it comes time for me to get married, uh, you know, really, frankly, it was um, heartbreaking more than anything, not just disappointing. I remember once, so I'm also a lay associate of the School Sisters of Notre Dame, and um they have a mother house in Waterdown, and uh, I was at Mass there in July when we were trying to figure out where will we get married. And I, I knew I couldn't do it in a Catholic church, and I was, I had, you know, I didn't break out crying, but I certainly was moved to tears as I was listening to readings and songs and thinking, if I was marrying a man, the nuns would let me have my wedding right here in this most beautiful chapel. Like, I know that they've had weddings there before from people who have been associated and, you know, it just, it, it can be, and so some people get really angry. Like I have been, I've been my angry self, you know, I, I did that. Yeah. And, um, and that anger has motivated me, I'm sure in lots of ways to do what I do now in terms sure. of creating positive space yeah. for LGBTQ people. And it's led me to say, and I'm not leaving. Like somebody's going to have to carry me out, you know, um, I think, you know, unless I have some remarkable shift in attitude, but I am still deeply in love with, with the liturgy. I'm, 
deeply hopeful about this pope. Well, if you don't mind me going back, but you brought up Jesus. You you sound like you're deeply in love with Jesus. And I'm deeply in love with Jesus. And, yeah. and to get back to my first question, what the hell motivates you? Why are you doing what you do? Yeah. And it seems connected. I mean... It's the gospel. I mean, it's that's that's the motivating factor for my life, right? So, Which is great and so interesting to me because if we had you know we've got about 15 chairs around this large boardroom table that are empty and if we populated them with groups of people from different denominations we'd be in a pretty uh difficult place right now it seems Mm. to me you know so tell me a little bit about what Mm. what the gospel is for for you because i think deirdre i think that um I think this is one of going to be one of the issues, and it's not me that said this, many others have as well, but the whole notion of homosexuality and how the church responds uh, and whether we respond in an inclusive way or whether we respond in an exclusive way is going to determine where it heads in the next, what, 10, 15, 25, mm-hmm. I don't know how many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a fu- it's a fundamental importance, you know, how we love our brothers and sisters and our neighbors around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then, because from that, I think, follows why we work, why I do international development, Mm -hmm. why I work in local poverty issues, why I work with First Nations groups and so on, and why you do what you do. So I Mm -hmm. think it's all connected very Mm -hmm. much. I mean, it all comes down to love, it seems to me, on some level, without getting a little too flaky. (laughs) Yeah, but it's (laughs) true. Because I think you and I could get pretty flaky I think so, I'm sure, I'm sure. (laughs) But, um, and I could break out into song right now, you know, (laughs) related to it. I don't have any candles here, otherwise I'd light them. But isn't it Matthew 25 or so, uh, the story of the... um, you know, dividing the sheep and the goats, right? right and what's right. the main call there? When I was hungry, you gave me to eat. When I was thirsty, you know. So right. yep. that seems to me to be pretty much the criteria of, and I'm not talking about getting into heaven, but about whether or not right. you are actually this whole notion out the of gospel. getting into heaven. I mean, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah. It seems to me yeah, that's deeply oh. problematic. Yeah. because it it seems to somehow minimize or reduce what we're actually called to do here on the ground Mm -hmm. and it it, it levels our humanity and not in a good way that's right does that make sense Mm -hmm. absolutely because you know because jesus said in mark that um uh the kingdom of god is close at hand you know and so i believe we're supposed to be bringing that heaven here now right Right. that's and that's the work that we do and so when i do that like when i bring hope really uh um, to young people who are gay or lesbian, bi, trans, and struggling with their sexual orientation, gender identity, I recognize very clearly that I am choosing life because one-third of all LGBT youth in Canada, uh, one-third of all suicides of youth in Canada are LGBT youth. Wow, one-third of all sui- youth suicides in Canada are by gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender youth. And so wow, we are not just about, like, this it can't be this... Um, really happy conversation about creating positive space although i have to use you know i i just heard the other day i forget who said it was um you know if you're if you're going to tell someone the truth uh do it with humor or else they'll right. kill you right <laughs> you know and so i mean I'm, i deliver a pretty tough message to all kinds of people the people that um come to the so this one piece of work that i do is is delivering training uh to help organizations bring about positive space we call it positive space so it's inclusive space it's Mm -hmm, space where mm -hmm. human rights are recognized and lgbt people their friends and allies are welcomed and supported so i deliver that message to for example hamilton police services and the police have had a tradition not just in hamilton but of being you know the enforcers around gay sex whatever i mean all kinds of things the, the relationship between police and queer folks has not always been that great and so 
Um, so I use humor for sure when I'm standing in front of 70 people with guns and trying, I mean, they don't have their guns <laughs> on them, but you know, yes. they can be a daunting group. Of course. Um, uh, to say, you know, you got to shake it up a little bit. This is how, you know, this is how your actions are, you know, these are the ramifications of, yeah, if sure. you don't really work toward uh, this positive space. So all of that to me comes from the gospel call, like Jesus says all over the place about, you know, be hospitable. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah is not about, you know, that people had sex with the wrong people. It's about the fact that they weren't hospitable to people from another country, you know. Right. And so hospitality, welcoming, love, all of that, you know, that it's just the driving factor. of. Have you ever ended up, I'm sure you have, in, in shouting matches with, with people of other faiths who, who are... You know, kind of the God hates fags kind of thing mm-hmm. that you'll see at the World Trade Center. You know, the Jerry yep. Falwell I kind know. of bunch. I just watched a movie called uh, uh, Hellbound recently, mm. which is interesting. You need to check it out. Actually, yeah. it's really interesting. Just uh, talking about you know whether or not hell exists, or you know what what happens after mm. we die, kind mm-hmm. of. And who knows? Metaphysical questions, like David Hume said, should yeah. be committed to the flames. I mean, yeah. you can't even speak about these things really in some respects. But the filmmaker is out there in front of the, the new World Trade Center memorial site with this small group of people quoting scripture with the God hates fags. Yep. And you're just and basically saying nine eleven was justice. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I don't even know what to do with that. Yeah. Like the liberal socialist side of me that supposedly is about love and tolerance just wants to push those people out of the lifeboat. Mm-hmm. Like, I got no use for mm-hmm. that. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm uh, uh, tipping my hat a little bit here too much. But, yeah, I just, how, how, do, you, how do you love that? How do yeah. you respond to that person? Uh, and I'm just wondering how you've dealt with that kind of thing. I'm sure uh, 16 years, or 16-year-old, when you, when you sort of understood your sexuality, mm-hmm. I, bet, I, bet you've had a, I bet you got a few stories. I have some stories, but no shouting matches. Good. So well, I'm so really, but, and I, I think... Um, I, you know, in some angry days, I've shouted about the church, right? You know, I've argued with priests about why women can't be priests and things like that, that I still think are ridiculous, you know? So while I say I love the church, it doesn't mean I'm stupid and think that they have really great policies on everything. Like clearly we have some differences, but on the ground, I have to say at my own church, you know, my choir came over and sang at my wedding at the Anglican cathedral (laughs) when I had to give in and go somewhere else to get married, um, you know, that was a very powerful experience. To, right, and and right. since then, I just saw two women yesterday at the coffee shop from my church. They're, I'm sure, in their 80s. And they wanted to see my ring, and they're congratulating me for being married. And wow. these are the stalwarts, the, the Catholic Women's League. The, you know, people say, oh, old people are homophobic. No. You know, I mean, everybody has an opportunity, uh, you know, the possibility of being homophobic. And, uh, you know, age sometimes brings you that grace and wisdom that, in fact, it was easier to tell my grandmother I was a lesbian than it was to tell my mother. So um, I think we have to be really careful about how we generalize. And we wouldn't be spending millions of dollars in the Ontario education system trying to get kids to stop beating the crap out of each other if it was old people that were homophobic, right? Right, right. So we have to really think about that conversation differently. So you're you're a lover of Jesus, you're Mm -hmm. a lesbian, and you are also doing a whole lot of good locally. Um, you're working with um, poverty issues. You're working in housing issues. Um, tell me a little bit more about what's going on in 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 Ontario, but specifically Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you mentioned earlier ninety thousand people uh, mm-hmm. living in poverty. Um, I just why 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 such a problem in Hamilton? Hamilton's one of the poorer places in Canada, is it not? Well, you know, it's uh, it's in terms of some of the major cities. It's certainly has that reputation. Um, it is, 
a city that relied so heavily on the manufacturing sector that when that was lost, you know, the jobs have gone and gone and gone. And so now we have a situation in Hamilton with half a million people. So when you say 90,000 people, you're talking about almost one in five people in Hamilton. And uh, that reality, uh, the other number that's scary is that there's only one job in Hamilton for every three people that need one. And so it doesn't work anymore to say, come on, you lazy bum, get off of welfare and get a job because so not, they just not, aren't there. It's not a, and it's not about laziness, is it? No. No. I mean, I, mean, I just, I, I hear that too often. I've met some pretty lazy, like uh, all kinds of people, you know, whatever. I mean, uh, and, and the, the, the fraud part, you know, that, that people on welfare are just ripping off the right. system. It's corruption. We've just grown level. in this, um, the chasm between the rich and the poor and then, and then where everybody else feels, we're just distrusting everyone because we all feel we don't have enough. And so even the people at the top end of things, they point the finger and say, yeah, those folks are ripping off the system. But the research shows over and over again that there's a 20% um, higher rate of fraud in the income tax system than there is in the welfare system. The welfare system wow. is about a 3% fraud rate, 3% of the total cost of running the welfare system. That's what we lose through fraud, that, that system. And it's 20% uh, higher in the uh, income tax system. So who's ripping off the system? But what story gets out there? Well, you know, who gets the opportunity to write history and tell the stories? Not the people, that, not the have-nots. So it's a pretty desperate story for lots of people uh, here in Hamilton. Do, do you think there's a sense, uh, there was a recent, Anna Maria Tremonti, I think, had, a, had an episode on maybe a week or 10 days ago that apparently, and I always question this kind of research and this kind of data, but apparently as you get wealthier... Your level that. of did you hear about this? I did. Your level of empathy drops. Yeah, and who knows if it's true or not? I'm sure. From what I understand, the guy that was interviewed was incredibly compelling, and he's written a book about it. Mm -hmm. um, do we need? How do we get people to care? Mm -hmm. Do we need to get people on the ground? Do we need to drag them out of their offices and say, "Come and help in a in a at a local food market line that we're going to be distributing X, Y, and Z," or come to a come to one of these meetings where we're talking about issues of depression, uh, your gayness, and your 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 Christianity? Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. come and come and find out what's actually yeah. happening on the ground. Is that going to help? Experience helps for sure. I mean, I find <clears> even <throat> in terms of the conversation with LGBTQ folks that. If somebody has come from a small town or village somewhere and they never had exposure to somebody who's gay or lesbian, their, their reluctance to understand, to be open, is going to be diminished compared to somebody who lives in Toronto who could still totally be homophobic but at least has been exposed and has some kind of sense, right? So exposure and experience helps, and it's the same. And that's why I always talk about outing the conversation. You know, it's, it's about getting people out of the closet, and then it's about the conversation coming out of the closet, not just about um, inclusive places for LGBT people, but outing the conversation about poverty too well, and telling more important stories, more compelling stories, and not relying on pornography, which is exploiting the poorest of the poor. You know, because, I mean, you work in other countries, you know, real poverty is a little kid with a bloated stomach swatting a fly. Right. Poverty pornography, yeah. Poor, yeah. I haven't heard pornography. Pornography, before, yeah, but pornography. Porn, I've certainly heard the yeah. phrase, yeah. And so, um, but I spoke at St. James Anglican Church in, uh, in Dundas. I preached there a year or two ago. And we know from Reginald Bibby, Bibby's work that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, going to church, going to Christian church in Canada is very much a middle class activity, right? And so here I am in this middle class 
church outing poverty, telling people stuff, compelling things. You know, in Hamilton, we can fill Cops Coliseum five times with the number of people who live in poverty. These are compelling numbers, and they tell a story and paint a, a clearer picture. But I didn't need to do a thing after that, because then at the coffee and tea luncheon thing afterwards, I had a, they had me do a bit of a Q&A, and so I was continuing the conversation. And one of their own parishioners came up to the microphone and started to tell her story. She's been there for a long time. Everybody knows her. Um, but her husband was laid off from one of the plants in Hamilton uh, uh, about five years before that. And he couldn't find another job. He ended up at McMaster University in food services and minimum wage, got a repetitive strain injury. Uh, you know, and he's in his 50s. It's very hard to employ, you know, white guys, you know, that have been doing the same mm-hmm. factory job in, in their, at age 55, you know, to find something for the rest of their uh, working lives. Then he ended up being a greeter at Walmart. And then he ended up in depression, of course, because, right. you know, you can, the, the situational depression or, or, you know, maybe longer term. I but, decided to become a male stripper at 55. Hey! That's, now That is Freedom 55 for me, dear. dear there you yeah. go. And I think, you know, we, you'll, you won't be uh, poor because Rich of it. I can tell. beyond my wildest dreams. I'm sure. Dreams. I'm sure. <laughs> and now I can tell you I will not be coming to your show. That's you, right. And don't be offended by that. Oh, I you won't. Know, I'm, I won't. You know, I'm not oh, a big friend yeah. of the penis. But, um, <laughs> so, um... <laughs> But anyway, when she told that story, the women around her who have coffee with her all the time, who, you know, she's saying, we're in part, like, I'm now, you know, she was a, set up as an artist. She could, you know, she had, their life was quite nice as a middle class family, you know, and they had two kids they were going to put through university. And now her husband's depressed and not working and he's going on disability and she's got to, you know, do something more than sell her artwork now and the kids aren't going back to school. These middle-class stories of poverty, like there are people on the on the edge of poverty in our communities. Those are the stories that we See, have to get out. A, well, and I think there's something profoundly humbling about that. I mean, I, I uh, on my travels, I'm off to Cambodia in, a, in about 10 days' time. And, and sometimes it's just, you know, I give to people who ask me for money on the street. Mm-hmm. And I'm not boasting about that, but part of the reason I do it, and I'm, I'm sure I've spoken about it before, is because it's a reminder to me. I don't know that it's my responsibility anymore after I've handed out that. That's a gift. Mm-hmm. You want to go and buy a, a, a drink with that or dinner, I mean, I think I can leave that with you. That's right. And yet, there is a certain amount of a responsibility. I get that. But at the same time, it's a reminder for me. Yeah. It's a reminder for my children that yeah. we are in a position that they aren't. And I hate the we, they stuff. Please understand me. But it's so easy to forget Mm -hmm. that whole that there but for the grace of God go I kind of stuff. And so you're telling this story to me. It's like, hang on a second here. These things are all very connected. Mm -hmm. So the layoff leads to this, which leads to this, which leads to this, which leads to depression, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We can all be there. Which can be marriage breakdown in a minute. And that guy could end up being the one you're handing your dollar to or whatever. 100%. I mean, this is, and, and, and we so easily forget this when we're driving our BMWs around. And we're sitting in the... Or know. just or just numbing our brains watching... What's that show somebody asked me about the other day? Kardashians or whatever. Like whatever, right. all of this real reality TV that, you know, you can't summarize it all to that. But whatever it is, we are... Well, we are We are ignoring. We are, we are creating distractions around us so yep. that we don't have yep. to look at the yep. pain of our yep. sisters and My brothers. My favorite philosopher, Pascal, Blaise Pascal, mm. he, he died at a very young age, but he talked in two of his books all about diversion. Mm-hmm. And we humans love diversion. Oh, yeah. And it's because it gets us away from the real matter at hand. His great, great quote, man's sensitivity to the littlest things and insensitivity to the greatest things are marks of a very strange disorder. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? Wow. 
powerful. Isn't that awesome? That is so, powerful. Um, so the stuff that really seems to matter, we get all fussed up about, uh, you know, the things that don't seem to matter. And uh, um, it was hilarious. I got to tell you the story. My son and I are uh, out for dinner with my family. We go to the washroom, and it's always a bit of a bonding thing when we go to the washroom together. We'll, you know, we'll have a, a moment. And he drops something, and it skidded across the washroom like it was a hockey puck. And I made some crack about being a hockey puck. Well, all most of my podcast list, podcast listeners wouldn't know that I'm not a sports fan, but I'm not. Sorry, sports spectating fan. Right. I, I don't mind playing, but yeah. the whole notion of spectating makes me crazy. So I watch curling and tennis. Oh, okay. Those are the two things. There's therapy for that, by yeah. the way. Just yeah, so thanks. <laughs> I can hook you no, up. No, that yeah. is my therapy with a beer and uh, you know, sitting at a local pub. Yeah. So this, so this, and so there's a guy in the washroom, an older man, and he makes some comment about Saturday night's game. But it was the tone that he makes it in that just assumed that Spencer and I knew what he was what, right. what he was talking about. And of course, I kind of played. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Good I don't game, even know. Good who game, he, brother. Good don't game. even know who yeah. he was talking about. But I think it's that just that assumption in, in our culture is so. Oh, it sounds so condescending, but we're kind of fascinated by sometimes the insignificant, and yet mm -hmm. all around us, these issues that we all could speak to, that we could all get involved in. And for me, that that's the question. How how do we uh, uh, motivate others to, to care maybe just even a little more deeply, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? And it's, uh, I don't think there's any easy answer to that, but I no. think we, we chisel away at it like you've been doing since you were 16, you know? Yeah, and, I, and I think you know, I want to go back to that question you asked me about getting angry. Like, yeah, you know, getting, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it certainly would be uh, counterproductive for me right. to, when I say that I'm a facilitator of creating positive you space, you, to you, not be positive. You don't strike me as an angry person, right? by the way. You, you've right. got the, I mean, the moment you walked into the meeting when, when I met you several months ago, smile on. There was an energy, there was a passion that, 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 that frankly, I find a bit surprising as I learn more about your story. Mm -hmm. uh, so Delightfully that's great. surprising, so Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I yeah. was going to say, yeah. I think I should say thanks. I think that was a compliment. <laughs> right. um, so, so I want to tell you, um, so there's a nun, uh, Barbara Fion, she's a, uh, from the Congregation of Notre Dame, and she, uh, from the States, and she, I heard her speak, and and like a couple of decades ago probably and she moved me at that time to recognize the danger of being negative and angry all the time and her example was so I think George Bush was in Iraq at the time had maybe just moved into that area or whatever was going on or it could have been Afghanistan I hear he owns you know, a subdivision there now yeah, yeah. yeah I bet <laughs> and so um, he uh, so she used this as an example that the negative energy that, you know, if we walk around like mad, like she, you know, George Bush is making some decisions that are terrible for our world, right? You know, so we can walk around being really angry and sending all this negative energy to the White House. You know, you bastard, look what you're doing and da, da, da. And we, we fill up the, 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 the energy, the cosmos with that negative energy. That's what he feeds off of. And he's going to keep going out there right, and killing right, stuff. Right. Or we pray for him. Or we, you know, we, we send positive, we, we, we hope and pray for that he'll have guidance, whatever. So she, I thought, wow, like, how does she do that? You know, out of, and she's an American and she has a, she's really angry, but, you know, like she could be really angry, but she's just so peaceful. And I took that and I've tried to live that out from now, from then on. And the best way, place to describe that is when I'm doing positive space training and I have, for example, a participant from a faith community that, um, you know, I know I'm not going to change that mind that day. So I had a Muslim woman uh, participating in one of um, the, my positive space trainings. And one, one of the 
top one of the things they have to do is come back with a story for the second session we have two sessions the second session they have to come back and tell a story that they went out somewhere in the world and outed the conversation and um, and did something to change someone's minds or hearts about LGBT thing. And on a parallel, I think we can do the same thing about the poverty story, Absolutely. by the way, right? Yeah. So and other, I mean, and other out issues. That, whatever it is, Gender out the conversation, whatever, whatever yeah. it is. So, because um, when we stand in silence or sit in silence, we allow that suffering to continue. So people are going around doing their homework and it's the last person to go and, you know, it's a she's a woman wearing hijab and so I'm, you know, I'm, and she hasn't spoken in the first session or the second session. And I'm, it turns out rightfully concerned about what her sharing is going to be and it's going to wrap up our night it's like two minutes before we end and so I go to her and I said so what did you do for your homework and she said well I went home and asked my husband what would he think if our daughter turned out to be a lesbian now this is a common homework exercise a lot of people with young kids this is what they do they go home and have, they have this conversation they find out whether their partner is actually going to be a supportive parent if their kid turns out to be gay or holy crap not in my watch we'll make him a hockey player and everything will be fine mm -hmm, and da 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 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so she does this exercise and says so what if our daughter turns out to be gay and and she said uh, and I said oh that's good and what did he say and she said he said we will never talk about this again and I said oh I said and how did you feel about that and she said I agree I do not want my daughter to turn out like you and the air wow. kind of left the room, and I kind of felt a little kick in the gut, you know. And I took a breath and pretty much didn't miss a beat and said, oh, you don't want her to be funny? And so everybody kind of, like, relieved, you know, that I didn't fall on the floor crying. Mm -hmm. You know, I can only mm -hmm. imagine that. Mm -hmm. I mean, people mm -hmm. afterwards are like, are you okay? Are you okay? It's not about me. Like, I am okay because I prepare a lot to do that kind of work. It's mm -hmm. very deep and heavy, and I, you know, I do a lot of spiritual reflection to to prepare myself and um, and then I was able to just take that moment put that little bit of humor in and then talk about um, how important it is that uh, you know it's one thing to have that conversation at home but you work in an organization that's committed to making positive space for LGBT people I think it's important for, and then and then anyway I segued into something else if I came back and said you know that's awful that's so mean that's what like it wouldn't go anywhere mm -hmm. and that maintaining like holding the sacredness of that space in some kind of positive energy is to me the only thing that's going to make a difference and uh and part of it's a survival technique too because sure, i'm sure. not going to you know dwell in there so. so it's a great way to sort of wrap it up and and so do you think uh you know with ref uh, reflecting on notions of poverty social change uh, the things that seem to matter for at least you and i uh, are things getting better are things changing for the better are we are we seeing a reduction in in um, racism and sexism and so on? I mean, and I'm not just talking about Canada, but I guess I, I suppose I'm speaking mm -hmm. globally here now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd like to think they are. I'm a hopeful cynic, you know. I call myself. I guess that's you know, a, yeah. Because um, I can be deeply negative and deeply cynical, depending on the day that you ask me. I, mm -hmm. I'm going to take over the world, and we're going to do great things. Yep. And then tomorrow, depending on what I read that night before. Uh, who you ran into in the street. Yeah. I just met a guy yesterday that we were so happy. He had finally got housing and bed bugs and whatever drove him to say, I can't live in that place. And now he's back on the streets mm. and we're trying to find some senior oh, housing. Wow. You know, you run into that and you think, yeah. crap, is it getting better? It like, better? I don't know. Um, uh, so there are so many great signs of hope that, mm -hmm. that keep us from despair. So, of course, that's a great thing. Uh, but we have signs of both good and bad yeah, continuing. Sure. And... Sure. And because of this, I really think one of our biggest problems is this income gap and that that's going to keep us apart 
uh, not just economically, but spiritually and socially, and just keep dividing us in terms of our trust for one another, and it'll erode community even more. And that's, to me, not hopeful. And and my biggest fear uh, of is is losing community more and more. And then you see signs that neighborhoods are coming together and mm-hmm. starting to do things. So sure, sure. so both and, right? It's well, always both and. And I suppose that's what I always liked. That was another thing I was kind of drawn to in the Catholic Church. You know, it wasn't always just either or. It was both and. You I know? think that's a huge problem. I think it's theological, philosophical, social, political. It's this polarization of the issue. That's right. We like to go up, down, uh, positive, negative. You know, it's I just... I get it, but I kind of don't get it mm-hmm. anymore. Listen, you being the um, you know executive of the poverty industry, <laughs> that's right. I got to fly lots, off. Are going to have lots to say and write about down the road. Can you tell us uh, your website here? Uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, it's sprc. dot hamilton. dot on. dot ca. It's the whole bit. Sprc. dot hamilton. dot on. dot ca. And your Twitter handle is. I'm at Deirdre Pike myself, and uh, sprc is uh, sprc ham aunt. Excellent, and we'll be uh, we'll be tweeting about this as well. Thanks, uh, thank you for joining me today. And again, more going on than meets the eye. That's uh, the, you know that is for sure. And I hope uh, I hope we can uh, chat again soon. Thanks, Great. Thank you.